God's grace, his mercy, his peace are yours through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The question that we ponder this morning together is this. Why is a warrior in a wine press? That's where we find Gideon just a chapter before the section of scripture we read in, Gideon, or in Gideon's account, Judges chapter 7. There's a warrior in a wine press, and, and instead of a sword, he has a shovel in his hand. So he's down in a wine press with some kind of shovel in his hand, and, and he's down there throwing grain up into the air, threshing it, trying to, to make this pile of just the grain seeds, not the husk, not the chaff, so that he can make it into flour for his, his family. You see, he should be up on a high hill, because that's where the threshing floor usually is. Because what they did, they'd, they'd stomp the grain, and they'd loosen the, the husk, the chaff from it, and then they'd throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow away the chaff, the heavy grain would fall down, and then they'd sweep it up, and it was a pretty clean affair, because they could use the wind and the high ground. But he's down in a wine press, which is usually dug out of a rock in the ground, and there's no wind coming across. It's usually damp and wet, because it's a rock, and that's not a good place to get the chaff off of the wheat. So what's a warrior doing in a wine press. Well, to, to sum it up, really, is he was there because of fear. God's people had just been just devastated by the enemy that came through the Midianites. Had just, for seven years, reigned over God's people, taken everything. They pillaged their crops, their animals, their families, their villages, their cities. They would sit high on the grounds above looking for opportunities. Whenever they would show their head, they would go down and take what, what wasn't theirs, and, and God's people suffered. In fact, we're given the account that uh, they were living in caves. They, they didn't even have homes anymore, many of them. That's how bad it had gotten for God's people. And so Gideon was in a wine press because he was scared to death. If he was on a high mountain threshing grain and someone saw him up there of the Midian brand, they would go and they would capture him, maybe kill him, take what he had, and then his family would have nothing. So you have a warrior in a wine press because he was paralyzed by fear. I think we could probably relate maybe to that too when you think of, of what a wine press might be in your life. What is it that paralyzes you? What, what fear has overtaken you? What are you facing? What is going on that, that you don't really know how you're going to overcome? It just seems like too much, and it's there. It's always there, right in front of you, and you try to work with it or around it, but finally, as you look in the mirror, you realize this thing owns you. It, it, it's starting to define you, and, and you're afraid of whatever enemy it is you face or whatever that enemy may bring, or maybe you're even afraid of of God because you know you're not doing what you should be doing. And so you find yourself in a wine press too. And it's interesting to see what God does. God sends his son. Jesus, before he took on flesh, goes right there to Gideon in that wine press and, and speaks to him. Isn't that what God does when his people are suffering? He sends his son. He, he, he comes to save. We, we see from this that God is going to do the saving and and, and, and Jesus, before he takes on flesh, the Lord comes to him and says, You are blessed, warrior. And asks him basically, what's, what's going on? Why are you here? And, and to which Gideon answers, and maybe this seems a bit brass, 
if we are so blessed, if we're your chosen people, as I'm summarizing, then why are you allowing us to be on the brink? Why aren't you coming with miracles and might and saving us? Why are we suffering like this? Explain yourself to me. Why am I in a wine press? Because you're not delivering your people. I don't see it. And what the Lord could have done was rebuked Gideon immediately, right? Maybe he should have too because that's a pretty bold thing, but God doesn't do that, does he? Instead, maybe we can learn from this that it's not wrong to go to God and to struggle with things when, when life is hard and when you don't know the answers, to go to God and ask him hard questions and to know that God will listen, but in this case, God doesn't necessarily answer the question Gideon asked. Instead, God the Son called Gideon to action and, and said, get out of the wine press. What are you doing there? I've got work for you to do. And so he gives Gideon some marching orders, but, but first, before Gideon, who would be the one God would choose to, to redeem Israel, could go and, and be the one that God would, send, would set up as the leader of his people, Gideon had to do some house cleaning. And that was a big issue, because Gideon's family, see, this is the reason why Israel was being punished. Gideon worshipped the true God, but he also worshipped other gods. And his family and their village had conveniently by, maybe his dad or whatever, set up this, this altar to Baal up there on the high place, and they would, they would offer sacrifices to God, as is the covenant, but they would also offer sacrifices to local gods because they thought maybe this god would, would deliver them because their gods seemed to be silent. And, and that was what was going on. And, and he said to, to Gideon, first you need to go home and knock down those idols. If we're going to do this, you need to trust in me and me alone. No more idols. Gideon knew he had to do it. But he knew that there would be consequences too. You go and mess with what your dad in the village had set up, and, and then you, you get the consequences on you. And have you ever had that where you know it is the moral thing to do? It is the right thing to do? It is a God-commanded thing to do? And yet, you don't want to do it because you fear the consequences. You want to keep your mouth shut. You don't want your hands to go and do the actions. You already fear the consequences, so you don't do what needs to be done. And there you sit in fear again. That's where we find Gideon. He knows what he has to do. He knew there would be consequences. And so what does he do? He does it under the cover of darkness because God commanded him to do it. And so at night, there he goes and knocks down this, this altar, this idol, and then he starts to put together this, this new altar and, and offers a sacrifice to the true God. And what Gideon anticipated actually happened, the village was irate. They wanted to take him out and make him pay for his actions. But I think we can take note here too. God wants us to do the same. He wants us to trust in him and to trust in him alone and to clear out the idols that are in our lives. If you want to follow God, then it means there's nothing else that should divide your, your heart. You should be completely trusting in him. And I, I would guess that if I went to your home, there's not some little niche that you have, some little altar to Baal. There's not some drawer you pull out and you get out an ashtray pole and, and I'm sure that you don't light candles and give food to something carved out of wood or stone. If you are doing that in your home, make an appointment with me immediately because we need to talk. Right? That, that 
I hope that is such a foreign thing to any of us. But, but to say that we don't have gods that steal our heart is simply a lie. To say there aren't things that we invest ourselves into and trust that they will bring us joy and results, that, that simply isn't true. So often our hearts are divided, fear, and then the gods that we worship and the things that we invest in. And what is it? That is, is, it is it things that we, we earn? Is it, is it things in front of us that, that give us a reputation? Is it things that, that we own and have that bring us joy and we think, this is it. This is going to be the thing that keeps the smile on my face. Maybe it's just what you see in the mirror. We worship ourselves too a little bit, don't we? We spend an awful lot of time and effort investing in ourselves. And often that comes at the expense of keeping God number one. And he says, get rid of the idols. They can't deliver. That piece of stone on a hill is not going to deliver anything to you. It can't. Nor will the things that we invest in that are temporary. God says, get rid of it. And start putting an altar up to the Lord. Putting the stones in the right place and offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him. Isn't that what you do in worship? When you come here, we come confessing and say, God, take it all away, the sins, the times that my heart has been divided, the things that give me fear and paralyze me in life, take it all away, forgive me. And then God comes and offers that forgiveness and says, for you, we are children of, of the covenant too. They were the ones back then that believed that God would save them and send the deliverer. And Jesus was right there, ready to save. God was going to save his people not just temporarily from the Midianites, but eternally as he would take their sins away on the cross, and he's done that for you too. God will do the saving when you put your trust in him. God has the power to come and to act and deliver, and that's why we all put it on the Son. When God's people need help, God sends his Son to take sin away and allow us to do heart cleaning, right? Keep that Son as, as number one, and with that forgiveness and that love and that relationship intact, God says, now I'm going to do the saving, and I will deliver you and give you victory. And that's what he did to Gideon, even though there would be consequences for doing the moral thing. His family and his village was not happy. God poured his spirit into Gideon, and Gideon from that situation arose to be the warrior God had called him to be. And Gideon said, we are going to conquer these enemies that are all around us. And he put a call out to the villages and cities to gather as many fighting men as he could because we are going to get rid of this blight that's plaguing the people Israel. And that call went out, and guess how many responded? That's where we get to this lesson before us today. If you want to look at the front of your service folder, 32,000 people came. Men came in arms, bringing with them what they may have had. And I don't know what weapons they were allowed to have with the Midians always watching over them, but they came to fight and give this victory a chance because the Lord was with them. And Midian would suffer consequences, and Gideon had to be proud seeing that. Can you imagine just, just if we were to, when we finished building this church and we were to dedicate, we opened the doors, and we say, come to the villages, come, because God is going to save you through Jesus Christ. You hear that message here, and 32,000 people came. Can you imagine? What would we do? That number is huge. That's an army. An army that can do something, even though it didn't have as many as the Midianites. That's an army for the Lord. But the Lord knew what would happen, and, and often because he knows our hearts, the, the, the victory would go to the Lord, they would give him honor, but in a secret way, maybe in a private way, they would take credit to themselves. And so God said, 
um, that's just simply too many. We need to, to winnow this down a bit. So I want you to announce to all those guys that are going to fight against the Midianites, hey, if any of you are afraid, you can go back home. And, and guess how many signed up for that, to, to turn tail and go back home. Many, many of them said, probably, we're farmers, not fighters. <laughs> what are we doing here? And they went back home. And all of a sudden, Gideon saw his troops go from 32,000 down to 10. Can you imagine 22,000 walked away? Now it seems like it's a little bit harder to go against the, the, the enemy that had been wreaking havoc on this nation for seven years. 10,000 against thousands upon thousands of trained warriors. But Gideon said, the Lord will deliver. And he inspired those men, and those men were there in the camp, ready to, to start training and offer a campaign. But then God said, there's still, still too many. Way too many. And Gideon had to be rocked a little bit, going, seriously, Lord? Don't worry, I'll take care of it. We need to, to trim this down to the fighting men I want to deliver the nation. And so he says, go and have them go over to the stream and, and, and take a drink. And you're going to watch carefully how they drink from the spring. If they, if they kneel down on their hands and knees and drink directly from the spring, then put them on one side. If they go and they lap up water with their hand and, and bring the water to their mouth, then put them in, in another camp over here and, and split the men that way. And so God directs them. And, and Gideon is watching as, as the numbers grow on the one side where they go and lap it up right from the stream and the numbers are small on the side where they come up with their hands. And he had in mind be thinking, well, obviously, God's going to have me go with a greater number here, right? So maybe the 9,700 is the troops that I have. Okay. But God said, no, there are your men right there. 300. Oh, 300 against the Midianites? That's how the Lord is going to deliver. How disheartened Gideon had to be and the people, too, so few against so many, I can't see the victory happening. I can't see how God is going to deliver. But this is how God teach, teaches his people and teaches us today. When we seem weak, when we seem that the enemy is going to have the upper hand, when it seems as if we cannot conquer, you just can't see how this is going to work itself out, that's when God shows his strength. Isn't that what Jesus teaches us again and again, God teaches us the whole narrative of Scripture. When we are weak and we get into a mess and we're paralyzed by fear, when we're in the wine press, then God is strong and mighty to save. God will do the saving. When we can't do it, when it's beyond what we can see working out, when we can't see the solution, there God is delivering and, and stretching out his mighty arm to save. And that's what he does with Gideon. Those 9,700 that left, they left behind their stuff here, we're, we're told. They left behind some, some torches and, and, and some other things that they might be able to use for fighting. And the, the 300 gathered up what they would bring with them. And, and this is what they said, a sword for the Lord. They were still going to go and do this, to take on the Midianites, because God is going to deliver. God is going to keep his promises. And I'm going to go beyond what, what we're given here. Um, I'll tell you the secret. God delivered. At night, they went with just torches, and they went with horns. 
And, and Gideon had to say, you know, guys, we aren't great in numbers. We're going to go there and make it seem like God has come with such a mighty force that the Midianites are going to be crushed in their camp. And so they went and they, they held up their torches and they blew the trumpets to make them sound as loud as possible. They shouted and screamed, a sword for the Lord, and the Midianites were routed and destroyed by God's mighty hand. That's awesome, right? And God wishes to do the same to you. So when God brings the numbers down, when, when God does something in your life, when, when you are suffering, you can't see how this is all going to work out. And it's not the number of troops. Maybe it's, it's when finances aren't what you think they should be. It's, it's a hard press. When family seems to be slipping through your fingers, when the, 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 the one you've committed to, it just doesn't seem to be working out with, with the sins that we've done in the past and those results keep coming back. What is it? Is, what is it that, that, that just makes you think that I can't get through this? My health, the things I have planned, the bucket list I'm never going to be able to do. What is it that, that makes you think that the numbers are low, that there is weakness there? and we can't be victorious, that's when God comes and shows his strength. That's when God comes and is mighty to deliver. There's one more thing we can learn about Gideon too. Even though he couldn't see exactly how this was going to work out, he relied on the promises of God. He didn't just sit there wondering until he could, in his mind, work this out. How is this going to work out? He took action. He said, I'm holding God to his promises, and forward he went. And that's what God calls on us to do, too. Not to sit there depressed in the wine press, not allowing fears and things around us to bring us low, not letting anything get in the way of, of our God, his might and his power and his commitment to save. God says, move forward. Be who you are. You are a redeemed child of God. You have God on your side. You not only have the commitment of God, you have the actions of God right there on display. He is residing in your heart. He has great things he wants to do through you. So, we can learn from Gideon today that we can get out of the wine press, whatever it is. That God allows us to clear out our heart and our idols so that we trust solely in him. That we can be bold when we speak to him and God we know will listen and he will hear. And no matter what you face, even if it seems like you're not winning, you're not doing it alone. God is with you always. May God be your might. May God be your power no matter what you face. You know this. God is doing the saving. Amen.